Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number four of Conversations in Momentum, brought to you by the team at Momentum Transport Consultancy. I'm Amelie Koss. And I'm Joe Tang. In today's podcast, we're going to be focusing on an incredibly important topic uh, as both of one of the key foundations of momentum and indeed one of the crucial issues worldwide. This is our commitment to the environment. And to guide you along today, we're absolutely delighted to be joined by two members of Momentum's Sustainability Transport Group. We've got Kana Namoto and Alice Duperry joining us. They'll be taking us through how they're evaluating and measuring the impact of good transport strategy uh, to help implement improvements within the industry. Uh, both Kana and Alice are consultants within Momentum, and they both share a passion for innovative, sustainable and inclusive transport infrastructure that makes our cities more people friendly. So thanks for joining us today, Kana and Alice. Hi, Emily. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having us. Hi, Emily. Hi, Joe. Hi. Great. Um, let's get cracking on. So we always start our podcast by asking our guests to share an interesting transport-related fact or story, something to help our listeners get to know you a bit better. So Alice, would you like to get us started and tell us about a transport-related story? Yeah, sure. Uh, so recently I've had a tour of a building which had just been retrofitted on the Strand and it was very rewarding to see the end results of our work as transport planners. Uh, I was very impressed by the quality of the cycle store and shower facilities, but also inspired by the retrofit and how the design team had created a new feel of, to the building while keeping and enhancing the character of the old building. Um, outside of the building, some of the first section of the regeneration of the Strand had opened, improving pedestrians and cyclist movement in the area and enhancing the public realm. I think these types of refurbishments and regeneration, which focus on promoting active travel, are key to behavior change and creating a more sustainable city. That's really nice. Thank you, Alice. And uh, what about you, Kenna? What's your story you want to share with us today? Um, so I read a headline figure somewhere about London being the most congested city in the world. Um, I think there was a stat saying that drivers lose an average of 148 hours sitting in traffic, um, which is quite significant. And I think from sort of going on from that, it's interesting to think about this competition. There is for road space. Um, for instance, I've seen examples where um, there's been a cycle lane being implemented, but leading to more congestion on a road because the traffic was forced to queue behind buses um, or where delivery vehicles needed to stop in the middle of the road because of these cycle lanes coming in and then also creating further congestion. So I think it is very positive that approaches such as deliveries um, delivery consolidation can half the number of delivery trips um, or that currently 90% of deliveries are made through road and thinking about how there's opportunities to make more use of things like rail or river freight to reduce this proportion. Um, so yeah, I think if we look at delivery trips as just one example, there's lots of scope to reduce these trips and hopefully free up more space for more essential journeys on the road. But yeah, just interesting statistic to see. That would be hugely beneficial, wouldn't it? And I guess it's always that issue, especially in somewhere as congested as London, where it's always a fight for space, isn't it, between all the different uh, road users? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's every, everyone wants that space, but as the city grows Absolutely, and gets more yeah. developed, it's very competitive. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
if we if we move on a bit to our main key topic of the day, then our our, our commitment to the environment. Um, so, Karna and Alice, you're both members of the Momentum Sustainability Group. Could you talk us through this group, if that's all right? You know, talk us through a bit of why it was formed uh, and what it aims to do. Yeah, sure. So sustainability really is key uh, to everything we do at Momentum and our sustainability group was set up to reflect on the work that Momentum is already doing and bring into one place how this contributes towards environmental sustainability. Um, so there's a group of about 11 people of us and members of the group come across from the whole business, from the planning team to the engineering team, uh, and we work collaboratively to improve the whole company's impact on the environment. Yeah, so just to add in there, we primarily look in this group, we primarily look at Momentum's project work and how we can most effectively share this great work that we're, that's that's being done um, within the company, but also to externally as well. And sustainability is obviously increasingly important, not only for us as employees, but also as collaborators, um, for our clients that have ESG requirements um, and thinking about the building's end users as well. So sharing best practice means that we can continuously improve um, on how we can develop these sustainable schemes and, and the work that we're, we're doing with it. Right, and that's that's incredibly important, and and we can see here as well in in Canada where I'm based, ESG is becoming more and more something that companies talk about, and and it's really good that you've prepared a response to that. And to tell us a bit more on that, I was uh, wondering if you you could tell us about um, about the tool that you've developed. I think, and I saw a bit of that recently, and I'm really interesting to hear more from from you guys. So I understand it's a tool that looks at the environmental environmental impact of our work on projects and so can you tell us more about how it works what it does and how a couple of applications of how it's been used yeah of of course Um, so we have developed a sustainability impact assessment tool um, which which has been developed to provide a more concrete overview of the sustainability benefits that Momentum has brought onto the projects that we work on. So we've trialed the tool with a couple of our past schemes. um, And I think moving forwards, we're going to try or we'll carry out the assessment as and when a project has been granted planning permission. And this kind of allows the tool to capture Momentum's contribution to the sustainability of the schemes that we work on. Um, so the tool itself sort of starts off with a spreadsheet which looks at carbon emission savings resulting from things like mode shift towards public transport and active travel um, and also from any delivery consolidation strategies. Um, and then in terms of what we're actually calculating, the tool captures the potential CO2 savings by taking into account the proposed um, mode share in comparison to an industry standard baseline for the given land use type. And it also sort of looks beyond that and incorporates elements such as the number of trees that have been planted, um, the amount of cycle parking that we're providing, any other public realm improvements, as well as active travel proposals. And this sort of allows us to also qualitatively assess how improvements are being made from a transport and highways point of view. So yeah, we'll we'll be looking to publish a summary of the sort of total carbon emissions within the past year or looking at schemes that have been consented in the past year. Um, So yeah, watch watch this space for for that to come out. Oh, absolutely. We'll, we'll be expecting some big reductions being uh, stated on that. 
should be really interesting to see. Um, in advance of, of sort of the big publication of that tool and the findings that we've got from it, uh, have you got any any sort of spoilers, as it were, any early examples of projects where we've included um, savings for that, that 2022 um, CO2 saving that we're going to be bringing through? Um, and I guess linked into that, have we got the the sort of thoughts on the main transport changes that have contributed to those savings? Uh, yes, yeah, so actually very recently in September 2022 at the Olympia Exhibition Centre in London, uh, the MSCP, multi-storey car park um, scheme has just received planning application. Uh, the list, the, all, the listed all multi-storey car park, which was actually one of the first, uh, the UK first multi-storey car park, uh, will be turned into a school, gym and hotel. Uh, so the MSCP is a car-free site. Uh, and it follows the London plan cycle parking standards and will provide over 100 cycle parking spaces. Um, the, size, the site will also be serviced via, via Olympia Way, uh, Olympia, which will be pedestrianized between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. So this means that uh, the site will have to be serviced um, outside these hours, but also we'll have to find some transport strategies to service via, for example, like cargo bikes. Uh, so it's really interesting to see how the pedestrianisation really improves, uh, has an impact on the sustainability. Yeah, I've got um, another example as well, which is Lansdowne House. So Lansdowne House is a office redevelopment scheme in Westminster, just south of Berkeley Square. Um, and again, like the example that Alice referred to, it's proposed to be proposed and consented to be a car-free development. Um, so we can see some savings from that point of view when we look at the kind of baseline mode chair for commuting trips for that area. And we, we're basically saying there's going to be no car trips. Um, and then there's also provision of over 400 cycle parking spaces. So again, this encourages um, cycling commuting and this meets London plan requirements as well as targeting some of the BREAM standards as well. Um, and sort of looking beyond that, there's also plans to improve and enhance the public realm around the site. So the landscape architects are designing in trees and more green space. Um, and I think that by providing more of a widened and attractive footway around the site, we can sort of encourage more active travel um, compared to what the existing arrangement is. Yeah, and going forwards, I think we also look to integrate integrate BREM requirements as well as that is something that we're continuously be, being asked um, about and many of our scheme meet or, ex, or even exceed BREM standards, uh, whether that's in terms of cycle parking provision or accessibility around the site and proximity to amenities. Mm. That's really great and, and I really like that you're taking a view of every improvement to the experience of active travel and not just, you know, the, the parking or the, the space allocation, but also the, the green areas and the planting. Um, and it makes me think of this um, really interesting uh, article that was shared by one of our colleagues, Natasha, a couple of weeks ago on different sort of uh, strategies that were implemented in cities across Europe and what was their impact in terms of actually reducing car trips and reducing the greenhouse gas emissions from vehicle travel. Um, so on, on that, can you sort of start seeing through your work and through the, the different uh, calculations that you've done, what are the 
you know, what are the measures that, are, that have the most impact really in terms of uh, sustainability and reducing uh, um, greenhouse gas emissions. And in sort of putting in a nutshell, what would be your sort of number one recommendation from that that you would make to our incredible momentum city or what we can say is sort of the city of the future? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, Emily. Um, and it's hard because each of the projects that we work on are a very different scale and the level they sort of contribute to sustainability is very different. But I think if we look at kind of momentum city and at that scale, something that I find is that behavior change is obviously a very important driver for achieving more sustainable travel. And that probably comes through with a combination of both policy change and infrastructure provision. So if we go back to what I was saying earlier about looking at traffic congestion, um, commuting by cycling is really a significant way to tackle this in cities especially. And so on the one hand, we've got like cycle parking standards uh, set out in things like the London plan that do really achieve more ambitious ambitious cycle parking provision around the city. And we've seen this in the schemes that, that we've worked on. Um, but then also on the other, you have to make sure that there is the provision of cycle lanes, um, which has really increased through the pandemic and kind of contributed from a public, or contributed from sort of an environmental point of view in the uptake of cycling because people feel more safe and um, able to navigate the city through this infrastructure that's provided. Um, and if I just mention another example as well, is perhaps thinking about electric vehicle rollout and recognizing that we both we need both national um, or regional policies that support this transition to EV uptake from market point of view, but also thinking about this, having sufficient charging infrastructure provided across the country. And I think that's really important to make sure that's accessible to those that do rely on cars as a mode of transport um, and making sure that that the infrastructure is there. Okay. And um uh, so yeah, I believe that pedestrianizing streets really creates a shift on reducer hierarchy by creating an emphasis on improving pedestrian and cyclist experience. Um, it forces users to think twice before getting into their car um, and therefore helps reducing reliance on private car journeys. Um, this coupled with more greenery can really improve users' experience, especially in busy towns and city centres. Uh, so as I was saying earlier with the, the Strand um, in the central London, I think creating these like, public realm areas can really help users just wanting to go there cycling or walking. And it just, yeah, it just creates less reliance on cars. That's, that's really interesting. Oh. I was no. I was just going to add on that because I think it's an interesting topic that's not too talked about. But the noise that you have in those areas and the change of noise that you get from greener spaces is, you know, it really is an interesting factor in terms of making people want to cycle and walk in a space. And the noise of traffic is such a big uh, irritant of our experience in cities. Um, and I'm actually t talking to in, in an event next week about that. That is just an event on like the noise in cities. And I find like more and more research and, and discussion should be taken on, on that point as well and the impact that it can have on the willingness to use active travel. Yeah, in a way, and it can also even benefit like well-being for all road users, which is very good. Yeah, absolutely. I guess that's an interesting part of it, isn't it? It's, it's the making people want to 
come to the area and, and you know, pedestrianising the street, greening the street, drawing more people in. And then also that point that Karna was talking about with policy and and how you get that implemented, you know, a sort of standardised approach as well. Um, and I guess very relevant given that we've got COP27, which has just kicked off as we started recording this. Um, and obviously, you know, sustainable transport and travel is going to be one of the, the key focuses of that conference, well, we would hope. Um, I, I guess regarding COP27, have you got anything, Kana and Alice in particular, that you'd like to see come out of it, um, you know, primarily from a transport perspective? Uh, yes, yeah, so following the COP26 last year, which focused more on zero emission vehicles and the transition to decarbonizing the vehicle fleet, it would be it would also be good to see more focus this year on achieving model shift to address the transport sector. Um, in other words, looking more closely at what exactly needs to be done to increase the proportion of walking and cycling, particularly in cities, and also perhaps using more sustainable modes of freight, such as river and rail freight, um, probably like unlocking these opportunities. It would be good to have a closer look at that. Yeah, and and just going off of what Alice has stated as well, that when and kind of linking back to what we just briefly mentioned about noise and that experience for the individual navigating cities, it's not just about the environmental, well, not only about the environmental benefits, but there's plenty of social and well-being benefits to active travel um, and evidence of how their increased uptake and increased quality of life. So I think this also goes without saying that um, this addresses the stark air pollution challenge as well that we have in cities and how the shift active travel can cut emissions. Um, so yeah, with, with this increased competition for road space and curbside space as well that we're seeing, I think um, we need a more holistic and joined up approach to, to, I guess, reallocate road space for active travel, prioritize sustainable mobility and um, hopeful that COP27 will address this and I think just to sort of summarize that there's this well-known statistic that transport is the largest contributor of carbon emissions in the UK so um, yeah critical that transport is rightfully addressed at COP22, COP27 but yeah we'll see we'll see what the outcomes are. Absolutely it'll be really interesting to see see what comes out of it. And I really agree on, on your point that, that we need to have this holistic approach and really look at mode shift rather than electrification of transport here in, in, in Quebec. And there has been a lot of discussion and, and policy driven around electrifying vehicles rather than reducing the road space allocated to them. And it's just, and, and I've also seen studies that are really interesting showing how there is a really big sustainability impact of building electric vehicles. And we are not going to build them quick enough to actually provide our targets with uh, shifting to those electric vehicles. So it's just not really, a, it's a solution that's sort of used politically, but it's not an actual realistic solution to the challenge we're looking at. So, you know, the shift of transport is really about building public transit that have more capacity and creating an experience of cities that makes people want to walk and cycle and densifying those cities so they can do those shorter distances. So really, really good that you're picking up on, on that as a topic for COP27. Um, great. So Alice and Kenna, I want to say huge thanks for joining us today. That was one of my favorite podcasts since we started. That was really great. We look forward to seeing you, uh, to seeing, sorry, the CO2 savings assessment in the next few weeks that you're going to be releasing. And it's really great to hear um, how all of these different aspects of transport can make such a big difference. 
Where um, Can you just tell us maybe where you will be sharing that CO2 assessment in case any of our listeners would like to find out more? Thanks, Emily. Yeah, we'll be sharing this on our website um, as well as on momentum city, momentum-city.com um, and also across our LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram channels as well. That'd be brilliant. I mean, I'll, I'll be keeping a key and eye out for it. Um, it should be really interesting. And thank you both for attending. It was really interesting to talk through those very key issues for our, our industry and our planet going forward. Uh, thank you very much. And we hope you, our listener, really enjoyed our conversation today as well. Uh, if you did, please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of our future conversations. So from all of us at Conversations in Momentum, bye for now and we'll see you next time. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. See you next time.